Thanks for joining us on Stand Strong in the Word podcast with author, speaker, and worldview expert, Jason Jimenez. Stand Strong in the Word podcast is devoted to walking listeners through the Bible in a fresh and powerful way. We pray your spirit is nourished as you gain new perspectives and a renewed appreciation for God's Word. Now, here's Jason Jimenez. Glad you're joining Stand Strong in the Word podcast today. Last podcast, we talked about Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, 18 through 25. Now, of course, he went from despair and he was going to quietly divorce Mary to then recognizing because of a dream he receives from an angel that the child that Mary has is in fact the coming Messiah, the, the Messiah to be, the Savior, Jesus, who, who will take away the sins of the world. So just think of he went from oppression and depression and complete and total despair and fear of not only his name being tainted, but possibly under law, his wife being stoned to death publicly to hearing that the child is Jesus himself, the one who will take away the sins of his people, the Jewish people. So it's an incredible story. So instead of just jumping right into Matthew chapter 2 and seeing then it says that he was born in Bethlehem, we got to jump here to Luke chapter 2. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 38. Again, this gives us a proper understanding of the context of scripture And so when we do this, it sheds more light into how things really uh, in sequential order in that type of fashion really played itself out. And hopefully that'll give us better context. So Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, it says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all who went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because... The Bible says there, there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news and great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby." wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with an angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they were made known the saying, that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. And Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of the eight days, when Jesus was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. 
And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms, and he blessed God, and he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all our peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about Jesus. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phineal, a tribe of Ashar. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Now, clearly there's a lot packed into this whole thing. So I just title this, The Lord Has Come. This is the story, clearly, of the birth of Jesus Christ. So let me just go through, as we're going through our study, just a couple of highlight things. And as and I mentioned before, and I'll mention again, you can always go to standstrongministries.org and you can go to the podcasts right there on the top. And we have study guide notes that are uh, put together to kind of help you in your whole your whole study through the Gospels here on Stand Strong in the Word. Now let's look at the advent of the Son of God in verses 1 through 7 of chapter 2. Notice there was a decree that went out from Caesar Augustus. Now Caesar Augustus was born with the name Octavian. See, Octavian was adopted by his great uncle who was known as Julius Caesar. Now, after Julius Caesar was murdered by his own people, Octavian split the empire of Rome with Mark and Antony and Lepidus. Now, before the birth of Jesus, there was a massive battle. It was known as the Battle of Actium, and it was fought between Octavian and Antony. Now, remember who Antony aligned himself with, and even in a marriage, was Cleopatra in Egypt. So they joined forces to try to defeat Octavian. However, Octavian won the battle, and in celebration, he changes his name to Caesar Augustus, which means the great. So listen to the historian Kenneth Letteret and see and hear what he has to say, kind of describing this period of time. He says, quote, Jesus was born in the reign of Augustus. After a long period of wars, which had racked the Mediterranean and its shores, political unity had been achieved and the Roman Empire had become roughly coterminous with the Mediterranean basin. Here and there, it was soon to spread beyond it. Augustus was the first emperor, building on the foundations laid by his uncle Julius Caesar, 
who brought peace under and under the guise of the chief citizen of a restored republic, ruled a realm which for several generations Rome had been building. The internal peace and order which Augustus achieved endured with occasional interruptions for about two centuries. Never before had the shores of the Mediterranean been under one rule and never had they enjoyed such prosperity. The Pax Romana made for the spread of ideas and religions over the area where it prevailed, end quote. So you see this massive prosperity that was coming under Augustus at this time. And so when it says in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. Now notice this word decree, or in some translations, it renders it as a census. It's literally just a, a registration for records, whether it be for tax purposes or looking at the ordinances and the different domains uh, that people governed and watched over under the empire of Caesar Augustus. This is also mentioned by so- Josephus, who is a Roman historian. And in verse 2, we're, we're told that Quirinius, uh, uh, Quirinius was the governor of Syria. Now, a lot of commentaries debate whether or not this is the same individual that was just having um, a second governorship under this uh, providence, which also include Palestine. Other commentaries and scholars uh, refer to this as another ruler that had the same name. We don't really know precisely, but we do recognize a name historically that has been given to governors within this particular region. So Luke is very accurate in acknowledging that. And verse 4, just want to touch on real quickly, because in verse 4 it says, And Joseph also went from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea. And why did he do this? Why did he go to Bethlehem? Because it says here, he was of the house and the lineage of David. So a trip from Galilee to Bethlehem is approximately 80 miles. So this wasn't just a one-day trip or even a two-day trip. This took them several days to go from Galilee to Bethlehem. And it was a very rigorous terrain for them. And remember, Mary was young and she was pregnant. So Joseph, when he returned to the land here in Bethlehem, he was going back to where his ancestors originally started. And in order to understand how... Um, to understand not just the lineage, but but why Joseph went to Bethlehem, you have to go to the book of Joshua. Joshua was a time in Joshua 13 through chapter 18 was when the land was divided up under the leadership of Joshua to the tribes of Israel. And he goes to Bethlehem. That's where it started, remember, with his ancestors, Boaz and Ruth. Bethlehem, remember, means house of bread. This was prophetic in Micah 5, 2, that the Messiah would come from Bethlehem. So when you see verses 5 through 7, that the time came when Mary would give birth, you go back to Micah 5, 2, remember, almost 700 years before Jesus' birth, there was a prophecy that was given. Micah 5, 2 says, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me, one who is the ruler in Israel, whose coming is from old to everlasting. Now, we're not only told that Jesus was going to be born in Bethlehem, but, in, but there's many instances within Luke, I think it's about three times, that Luke mentions that he was born under these poor conditions and would be born in a manger, not in a palace, not even in a holiday inn. Jesus was born in a cave. So I want to give a little insight real quickly about this setting of a manger. See, in first century Bethlehem, homes were usually built over a basement-like cave. So the top floor was where they, they lived, where they slept. And there was also on the side of the first floor what was known as a cataluma. It was a guest room. And below that, as the houses were built commonly, 
was a cave where the animals stayed. Now, this is where Jesus was born. So when you look at Luke chapter 2, verse 7, it says there was no room in the inn. That's actually a weak translation. It literally should say there was no room in the guest room or in the Cataluma. So when Mary and Joseph came because of the decree to give be part of this, the, the census, there was no probably place that their family could put them. Now, there's also some talk here because of the situation at hand. Remember, going back to, to where he was from originally, there were some probably family members that, that could have brought Joseph in, maybe because the town was small and everybody was a part of the census, that they didn't have any room. Other people argue to say that possibly they didn't want them to stay in their first floor because she was pregnant. And they didn't want to associate with that because they knew that they weren't technically married. Other commentaries suggest because of purification, women that, according to Luke uh, Leviticus 12, women who gave birth um, would be considered unclean, therefore potentially putting the family at risk of becoming impure. So whatever the reason uh, was as to why they didn't have any room in the Cataluma, we know that Jesus was born in a feeding trough. He was placed in a feeding trough. He was born in a cave with around with animals because of humble beginnings. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his, what? Poverty might become rich. Now, as we're moving forward, this leads to this other issue of the shepherds. They're the ones that receive an angelic message here in verses 8 through 14. Why? Why on earth was it the shepherds? Why wasn't it the chief priests or the people at the temple? Why wasn't it some pro- uh, prophets that were there before John the Baptist came on scene? Well, first, the announcement to the shepherds is keeping, I believe, to the humble birth of Jesus being born in a feeding trough. See, shepherds were considered outcasts, according to the rabbis. Being a shepherd was a lowly job. Nobody wanted to do it. So God sending his angels um, to announce this beautiful message to shepherds is a demonstration of God's unconditional love to the whole entire world. God does not show favoritism as we know in Acts 10.31. God does not have his favorites Jesus did not come into the world to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for for many we know. Jesus came for everyone. Therefore, this announcement, whether you're, you're rich or poor or anything in between, the message of Jesus coming to the world applies to every mankind. Another cool point about angels appearing before the shepherds is because they were announcing the ultimate good shepherd. If you recall, who else came from Bethlehem, the house of bread? David who was also a shepherd. He was tending the flock. And it was Samuel who was looking for him to anoint him to become king. Moreover, when you and I divide, or when you dive in, when you and I dive into Luke chapter two, and we read the description of the shepherds, we are told that they were what? They were in the field keeping watch by night. Now in the Greek, this means that they were in the agricultural fields that was outside of Bethlehem, and they were living among them. So these were not any ordinary sheep. The Mishnah records a Jewish law that stipulates that all flocks be kept in the wilderness except for the temple services, which was kept at Bethlehem. These shepherds then were probably guarding sacrificial lambs, which many of them uh, would become Passover lambs. And you think about it, these shepherds were announced that the 
ultimate Passover lamb was born. And what were these shepherds doing? They were they were keeping watch of of sacrificial lambs that would one day uh, be slaughtered in the temple on behalf of the sins of the people. So that's pretty incredible. And of course, what was the message that they brought? The message that the shepherds brought was one of joy. And that's why they, they sent it. They sent the shepherds to go see Jesus in Bethlehem because we're told in verse 17 that they went after they were rejoicing that they made known this saying. So here's what's also amazing. And I, I really want us to just pause for a moment and think about this. Shepherds, lowly class, despised by the Jewish people, were told the message, and they were the ones that first went to Jesus to worship him, to bear witness of this testimony they received from the heavenly angels. And not only that, but then they're told to go and to tell people, to make it known. So the shepherds were the first witnesses, but the shepherds were also the first evangelists. So if you and I ever think that we are so disqualified, that we are meaningless, that there's no purpose or or real power within us, that is a lie. God can use anyone he desires. You just have to have a willing heart. Notice the shepherds went from fear to rejoicing. They went from being confused to being settled in their mind. They went to go see what they heard to then go proclaim what they witnessed. That is a powerful message of the shepherds going to Bethlehem, not just to adore him, but to make it known to the world. God is still doing that. He wants to use you. When you witness things, when you're in the word of God, when you're studying, like you're listening to the podcast right now and you're going through God's word, it should inspire you, it should convict you, but it should motivate you to do the things that God has called you to do. That's applying God's word. So now you see after this testimony, they then follow the law, according to Leviticus 12, to have Jesus you know, circumcised in verse 21. Now, this purification form uh, was done traditionally because it was like a process of reminding uh, the the couple that that had a child that, again, you're born in sin. Now, of course, Jesus, we believe in the impeccability of Jesus. He's not born in sin. But the purification process and the circumcision, Jesus came to fulfill the law, and they're abiding by those laws. They They came to present Jesus at the temple. And now here's the introdu- here's here the introduction of two amazing characters that are briefly mentioned and they're only mentioned here in Luke chapter 2, but I find it fascinating. I hope you do as well. Simeon and Anna. Simeon is referred to as a righteous man who was told by the Holy Spirit that he would not die until he looked at the Son of God. Could you imagine the day would come. Now, how he heard about it, of course, it was, I think, was it just a miraculous intervention that he came. Or possibly like Anna in verses 36 through 38, this old prophetess who spent her entire life at the temple praying and fasting. Whatever the case may be, Simeon came, he witnessed, and he praised the Lord, and he declared that this Jesus, this Jesus, this long-awaited Messiah, will die for the sins of the people. And he gave a prophetic word to Joseph and Mary. And then Anna, we're told here, she also was awaiting for the revealing of the Messiah in anticipation. Why, why does the scriptures, why does Luke particularly mention these two characters? I think for the very reason why they're obviously mentioned, because there were people who were anticipating the coming Messiah. We know that we're going to see in the next podcast that the chief priests, when Herod hears a uh, about the the king of the Jews by the Magi people who were looking t- into these matters and had the sign from the star to go find him. 
we find out that they knew that the Messiah prophetically was mentioned in Malachi 5 2 would come from a place of Bethlehem, but they didn't know when. But if they were following some of the prophecies, uh, in particular the book of Daniel, and long awaiting the Messiah, they probably would have been able to figure it out. Well, in this case with Simeon and Anna, they waited faithfully. Righteous people who are giving their lives to God, completely devoted to God, and waiting for the revealing of the Messiah. I think that's fascinating. It's one of those things that reminds us right now as the church that we're waiting for the return of Christ. And I hope you are, because sometimes we can get so focused and so inundated with life in general that we can neglect the heavenly things. And Colossians 3 reminds us that we need to be looking to things above, not things here in the world. So as we close out, I want to provide you some pointers as to why, in essence, Jesus came into the world. We hear this account, the beautiful Christmas story in Luke chapter 2. But the question before us, and this is one that every Christian should be able to answer, was why? Why did Jesus come? Well, I'm going to give you six theological reasons as I close in this podcast today. And it comes from Dr. Charles Ryrie. He provides these uh, six pointers from his book, Basic Theology. So why did Jesus come to the earth? First reason was the purpose was for the incarnation. Jesus came so that he can reveal God to us. John 1, 18 and John 14, 7 through 11. Second reason was Jesus came to provide an example for us on how we ought to live. 1 Peter 1, 21, 1 John 2, 6. Third reason is to provide a ransom for our sins, Hebrews 10, 1 through 10, that we might be reconciled to God, 2 Corinthians 5, 19. Fourth reason, Jesus came to fulfill the Davidic covenant, Luke chapter 1, 31 through 33, and destroy the works of the devil, 1 John 3, 8. A fifth reason is to engage us as a sympathetic high priest, Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. We're told that Jesus was tempted in all ways, yet without sin. He came to sympathize so he could understand what you and I are going through. And the final reason as to why Jesus came into this world was take on the role of a qualified judge so that Jesus might have the final say on everything. And we see that in John chapter 5, verses 22 through 27. So the bottom line is Jesus came, God incarnate, so that he could take on the sins of us, of mankind, be nailed to a cross and to die on behalf of our sins and then on the third day rise from the dead so that you and I can have life eternity that is why Jesus came into this world for more information on Jason Jimenez and Stand Strong Ministries visit us at standstrongministries.org thank you for listening and keep standing strong in the word of God